uh, you know what a paradox is. Some of you might not, but this is what a, this is what a paradox is, okay? It is a uh, seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. Something that whenever you first hear it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't really add up. But if you really kind of look a little bit deeper, it, it actually makes sense. Uh, we have a couple of those, you know, well, actually we have a lot of those paradoxes that we say a lot in our culture. One of those is, you know, less is more, right? We say that a lot. It has a lot to do with maybe if you're decorating your house, less is more, right? Keep some space, okay? Um, it does not apply to things such as money, you know, if <laughs> less money is just less money. So sometimes it applies, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I, I like the other one where it's like the older that you get, the more you realize you don't know anything, right? Like the older you get, the, the more you realize you, you're not that smart. And uh, I'm 34 and my dad, you're 67? Six, six, six 66. Um, uh, <laughs> six, yeah, going down, 65 next year. And, and he, uh, he's been saying for a long time that, you know, the, the older that you get, and he's just like, the more you realize you don't know. And, and I think I peaked when I was about 20. I was like, I got this thing figured out. I understand what's happening. Um, before I was married, I already knew how to be married. You know what I'm talking about. And then I got married, and, and it was horrible for about a year. And I realized I'm not very good at anything. So, you know, you go through life, and you realize I need, I need a lot of help. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about a paradox in the Bible, because there's a lot of them. We talked about uh, with this paradox of death for life, how how can in something dying, something receive life from it? And of course, we opened up the story of Jesus. And, and, and anyway, this week, we're going to be talking about giving to receive, giving something away in order to receive something. And of course, it, it, it lines up perfectly with the month of December and all of us with gifts and whatnot. And, uh, and you know, I, I was thinking about trying something with my daughter and helping her understand this this paradox of giving to receive and, and, and just saying, hey, babe, look, this year we're not, gonna, we're not gonna receive any gifts. We're gonna give gifts away. And I mentioned it the other day, and I wasn't actually gonna do that, but uh, she revolted. Like, you saw her mind, <laughs> you saw her mind go, it's like she immediately, she was like this, she was like, no, no, no. So <laughs> that's how, whenever we, whenever we hear that paradox right here, for most of us, we're like, give to receive, and it's like, Ah, I like to receive. Let's be honest today. We like to receive. We like to get stuff. But some of you, I think, have started tapping into, maybe at some point in your life, the, the joy of actually giving to someone, to something, whatever it is. Whenever you give something away, you realize how much more fulfilling it is. And that's why Jesus said it. He said it in Acts 20, 35. He said it's better to give than to receive. So he starts throwing out this concept. And of course, it doesn't, you know, whenever we first say it, it doesn't really make that much sense because we're, we're selfish. <laughs> we like to receive more than give. But did you know that this is a concept that humanity has always dealt with, this tension between, uh, especially as believers, being like Jesus and, and modeling our life after him or uh, retaining and, and, or looking inward in our life. And so we're gonna look at 2 Corinthians chapter nine today. So if you got your Bible or you, you wanna open up your Bible app, whatever you got going on, we're gonna be at chapter nine today. That's pretty much where we're staying. But I wanna give you some con context around what we're about to read. How many of you guys know that the Bible was written by men and it was written about people just like us? And honestly, not much has changed in the last, you know, 
ever, because humans are humans, right? We are just, it's, I mean, so whenever you read the Bible, I don't want you to, to look at the Bible as some sort of antiquated book where it's like a different type of person. No, these are people like you and me who were dealing with selfishness and other tendencies. And so what it is, is Paul, who, who was referred to as Saul at one point, he had this major conversion experience and he was, he was actually killing Christians. And then he ends up being an advocate for Christians. And so what he does is he, start church, he starts churches and then he writes letters back to them to smack them upside of the head sometimes because he would go and he would teach them and he'd walk away. And six months later, they were following some other wind of doctrine or some other, you know, better looking apostle that would show up. Uh, remember last week we, we learned that uh, the church in Corinth, they, whenever Paul would show up, people were actually talking about the fact that Paul wasn't very impressive. They were like, Paul, you write these big letters and you're, you talk a big game and you show up and you're actually pretty soft-spoken and you're not, you don't have a booming voice like all of these other teachers do. And so I remember he kind of pokes out his chest a little bit and he's like, hey, I've seen a thing or two. I know more than you. I actually have a better history than you, uh, you know, as far as my family's concerned. And, uh, but then he's like, I'm not going to boast about it, right? You remember that? No, many of you, you don't even remember what happened last week, do you? You know, no, it, we really taught this. If you don't remember it, go back and listen. But, uh, but this is another one of these letters. Paul's writing back, and this is a deal. He's writing to the church in Corinth. But let me set up what we're about to read. Here's the deal. In 1 Corinthians 6, I mean 16, Paul is, um, is, is giving some details about a collection that's being taken up for the church in Jerusalem, all right? And, and what's going on is Jerusalem was going through a famine, and so they were struggling. And so they decided, all the churches that Paul had started, they decided to take up a collection, and Corinth is asking some details on it. And Paul says, hey, look, the, the, the good thing to do would be able to take up a collection, take up some money every first you know, uh, day of the week. And then at some point later on, whenever we're coming back through, we're gonna pick up that money and we'll bring it to the church in Jerusalem. So he says, start taking it you know, a week at a time. So that way, whenever we come, you know, and it could be six months, it could be a year, you don't, get, you don't have to go around and like force people to give a bunch of money at one time, all right? So that makes sense, right? That, that's just a good plan. And uh, then fast forward to 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is reminding them like, and this is about a year later, he's reminding them, hey, remember how you guys were talking about giving money and we had this whole plan set up? Well, it's getting close. Like, I'm a, we're about to come and get the money. So uh, I hope you guys have been taking up the collection like we talked about. And he says, actually, the church in Macedonia, they heard of your generosity and what you guys were doing and they got motivated and they've been giving. And actually, they've given a lot. They've given a whole lot. And the thing is, is that the Macedonian church was poor. They didn't have a lot to give. And so what's interesting to me is that he, he, starts, uh, he starts encouraging them, but he, he starts using the Macedonian church to kind of bring some leverage to the conversation because Corinth had a little bit more going on than the church of Macedonia did. And he says this, he says, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in generosity. That's a paradox in itself, okay? He says that they were, they're so poor, but yet there was so much joy in giving, it welled up and they begin to give a whole lot more. And so really what he says to Corinth is, you're up. You're up, guys. I hope you guys are ready because, uh, you know, we're about to come through town. And so honestly, this is where he's coming from. Paul wasn't hinting around. Paul wasn't like, hey, you know, it'd be good if you, if you gave some money and, and help. He's like, hey, we're doing this, and I hope that you're still committed to be as generous as you said you would be a year ago. 
Or was it just this emotional moment that you're like, oh, it's so sad that the church in Jerusalem is suffering. We should do something. All right, let's take up a collection. Let's do it. And then three months later, like, it's Christmas time. We don't have enough money to, to give to the church in Jerusalem, right? Uh, anyway, so, but here's the other thing is that the church in Corinth was very spiritual. They were strong believers. Actually, they excelled in spiritual gifts. I love this part in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, he's saying basically, hey, remember back when in, in chapter, for us, it's chapter 12, 13, 14, whenever I, I wrote to you about how you guys are prophesying and speaking in tongues and doing all this crazy stuff, like extreme, and, and you're really in touch with the power of God. He's like, remember all that? And I had to actually kind of tell you to chill out because it was getting a little bit strange. He's like, remember that? He says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm going to take my name tag off. Is that cool? I just felt it. Somebody get blinded by it like at some point or it's like the light off the thing, right? He says, he says, you're really good at doing the spiritual gifts. He said, but are you good at loving people around you? Are you good at putting that compassion in action, right? Like, like we talk a lot about how, man, look, we have talked for the last three months about going and serving our city. And man, look, we had a lot of people show up and show out and serve and give money and do all that. But I'm gonna be honest with you, I'd say probably 70% didn't show. Right, and so for the last three months, it's been like, Jesus, you have been so good to us and we wanna to give to other people and serve. And say, like, hey guys, let's put that into action. It's like snooze, right? It's like, and I've got, um, I've got a birthday party at 2 p.m. So I don't know about the whole like, you know, eight to 10 thing that might not work out for me because I've got to prepare for the birthday party, you know, like things like that. Look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. There was a couple yesterday that this, yesterday morning, we spent four hours together uh, cleaning up a school together and then they got married yesterday afternoon. So don't tell me, don't tell me. Like, like the bar has been set really high and that's, I'm going to be honest, way more committed than I think that I would have been at that time of my life. But look, challenged, huh? So anyway, he's like, hey guys, you guys are really killing it when it comes to prophecy, but are you going to kill it when it comes to generosity? That's what he's doing. He's challenging them. So, <clears throat> so you can already tell, much like how you feel right now, there's a little bit of tension. There's a little bit of like, hey man, you're up in my business. And Paul never stopped getting up in people's business. He did not stop. He actually, whenever he felt that, he just pushed a little bit more, right? So first five, he says this. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it would be ready as a generous gift, not as a grudgingly one, grudgingly, one grudgingly given. So immediately he starts talking about how to give, not how much to give. How to give, not how much to give. And guys, look, today I'm gonna to say some things that is gonna completely come up against our American thinking when it comes to money and generosity in the local church. And can I just preface everything that I'm gonna to say today by the fact that yes, some people abuse money in charities, in churches, and across the board. People abuse money in their own personal lives though, right? So, so don't, let's not discount what the Bible talks about because some people have messed up. Y'all with me? Like, let's not, let's not cut off an entire part of scripture. Jesus actually talked a lot more about money than he did pretty much anything else in the Bible if you go and look and see. Money's a big deal. It's a big deal. 
because it tests something deep down inside of us. We worked for that money, right? Like, like I worked for this, what I have, and I'm going to be a good steward of it, right? And I don't, I don't, we're going to learn today that, that stewardship might look like this right here. So he says, I'm going to talk about how to give, not how much to give. And he's like, make sure that it's a generous gift. He goes on, he says in verse six, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, guys, look, you are gonna hear people say this a lot, especially if you're in church for a while. Like, you need to sow a seed of faith. You need to give some money. You need to sow some seed. And then I'd like to kind of bring you off of that a little bit because there's a lot of error in that. And it mostly has to do with the heart, not necessarily the words, because we just read it right here, right? Like Paul is talking about sowing seeds, of, of, I mean, with our money. He's talking about money, guys, okay? So we're not dancing around time and talents today. We're, we're talking about money. Is that, is that okay? Hope it is, because we're doing it, all right? And, and he, says, he, says, he says, look, whatever, how much you sow, we're gonna get into a lot of things. So if you're watching online, like, don't turn this off yet. Like, you gotta listen to the whole message, okay? Don't, don't turn me off. There's a, there's a good thing coming, okay? But he's, he's, he's building up this concept that, yeah, how much you give, that mean, the more you give, the bigger impact you'll make. That's what he's letting them know. That's our point. The more you give, the bigger impact you'll make. It's just like the more you invest, the more return you're gonna get on that investment, right? Invest 10 bucks into your IRA and, eh, right? Max out your Roth every single year, what's gonna happen? You might actually have something at the end of your life, right? What? The more you give, the, the, the more that it compounds, right? So he's, he's bringing up this, this concept, verse seven, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. He, he said, I'm not gonna tell you how much, but I will tell you that you need to pray. You need to seek Jesus. How much should you give to this church, the church in Jerusalem? Not reluctantly or under compulsion. He said, I'm not gonna force you. I'm not gonna twist your arm. He said, for God loves a cheerful giver. He, he's raising everybody's eyes up. See, everybody wants to look at Paul and they wanna say, hey, you know, hey, he's telling me to do this. And Paul's like, look guys, I'm just the middleman. I'm the messenger, don't shoot me. The Bible talks about how God loves a cheerful giver. This is something that we know. We're just actually testing whether we believe that or not. He says, what's God spoken to you about? He says, don't give it with an attitude, don't give with guilt. At that point, y'all look, if you ever give something with, with guilt or condemnation or anger or like, here, would you please just keep it? Because you're wasting your money. Now, the person that receives it might actually still enjoy it, but for you, it's gonna, it, there's not gonna be a return, and we'll talk about what that return is in a moment because it's different than probably what you're initially thinking, but when we joyfully and obediently give, God's favor is on it. God looks upon it. His, look, y'all, angry obedience is not obedience, okay? All right, like, like, like whenever you tell your kid to go clean their room and they stomp off to the room, what do you do? No, 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 come back. Come, I do this all the time. Ari, come here, come here, stand right here. No, no, you're not gonna, you, no, I don't care if you go clean your room, that's not the point. <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? I'm like, no, 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 come back. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, kid. But to be honest with you, the Lord Almighty is like, child. I would like you to do this. And we're like, oh. 
I don't want to go serve, right? Like, it's not much of a difference, guys. It's just, we just don't. I did this the other day, all right, I got to keep moving after this, but this is funny, y'all. So I said something for her to do, and like she did the whole like shoulder thing, like, and then, um, so I, I mocked my children, and uh, I mocked them. And so when she did it, I was like, oh, and so I stomped to my room like she normally, she's done like once, because she doesn't normally do that, because we have a great child. We're great parents, but um, she did it one time. So I just mocked that, and, uh, and then she laughed, and then she went and obeyed, because I threatened her. But anyway, no, just joking. But God looks at it like that. He's like, man, I don't want you to be forced to do something. I don't want you to be angry when I ask you to do, you know, to, to, to serve somebody or, or do something out of the ordinary. He's like, man, do it with, with joyful, you know, a joyful attitude. Verse eight, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, which is basically, you know, you'll have all that you need, you will be able to abound in every good work. So he's like, God is able to bless you abundantly, which I think that we're in church today, so we'd all say that. Yeah, I agree, God is able to bless me abundantly. But I think, bless me for what is, is the problem. Is, is, it's where things start, the trajectory changes. Why do we want God to bless us? Is it for us to receive something out of it? Or is it for something else? He says, so that, go back a verse, man so that in all things and everything that you do at all times, having all that you need, okay, you will abound. You will be able to abound in every good work. He's starting to say, hey, look, this isn't about you doing something and then necessarily getting something like a surplus. He's like, basically, God's going to provide for you so that you can keep something going on. And so, again, I'm, I'm slow playing this to where we can, it can all resolve at this one moment. But he says, whenever you give, God will provide what you need. That is a big statement because that shoots the prosperity gospel right in the kneecap. The whole mindset that I'm going to sow a seed so that I will receive some sort of abundance of material possessions is not the point of everything that he's talking about. It's not the point. It's not the end result. It, that's not the joy of generosity. It's not. It's something completely different. Verse nine, as it is written, they, now they, what he's referring back to is Psalm 112, by the way, and the they, can I, can I replace they with what it actually says in Psalms? It's those who fear the Lord and obey his commands, okay? So, so whenever there's a they, it's actually people who fear God and obey him. They have freely scattered. I want you to think about this with an open and wide hand reaching into the bag of seed and just, whoosh, just, just slinging out there. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Then it says, their righteousness endures forever. God blesses the righteous for their generosity. He blesses the righteous for the... There's a problem with... I want to delineate believers from unbelievers... All right, believers, those who believe in Jesus, he is Lord and savior of their life. 
and they are living a life of fear and trembling before God, and they are righteous. Whenever they are generous, it matters, okay? When unbelievers are generous, it's still good. It's just not God. <laughs> it's, still, it's still good, it's just not righteous. It doesn't count for anything in the long run, okay? It's still good. Look, y'all know many people that don't know Jesus, but they're very generous. That's true. We can, did y'all know that we were made in the image of God? There are, there's a lot of things inside of us, especially in America. I mean, honestly, I know there's a lot of bad, but there is a lot of good people. But good, y'all know, doesn't mean God. Doesn't mean godly, right? It doesn't mean righteous. There's a, a big scenario difference there, but he says their righteousness will, will last forever. Psalm 34, by the way, says this, the eyes of the Lord, his attention, his presence, his, his gaze are on the righteous and his ears are inclined to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's against them. God, God loves everybody, right? And we, we say that a lot, but he does not like wickedness and he doesn't bless it. His favor is not upon that, right? We might be really good at doing some principles or whatever, but, but his faith, like God's favor, is not upon it. And a lot of times we think of God's favor and God's blessing as a lot of stuff. And that's not what we're gonna learn today. Our good deeds become righteous deeds in Christ, right? Our good deeds are, are translated and transformed into righteous acts and good works, righteous works because of Christ. It's a big difference. It's a big mode of change as well. Verse 10, he says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and you'll enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way. Check this out. So that you can be generous on every occasion. Okay? So God will provide for you when you are generous so you can continue to be generous, not so you can get rich. Okay, so you give a hundred bucks, God gives you a hundred bucks back. He reimbursed you for actually just obeying him. Good job for just being a, just a, a generic follower of Christ. What are you gonna do now? Was that like your good deed of the year? God's like, hey, hey, this is something you're supposed to be able to do on every occasion. And that's right, your bank, bank account might not grow. Who cares? It's not the point. He's like, look, I want to work through you. But you're the, you're the governor on that. I've heard this a lot. And, and, and if you think about it from the wrong perspective, it's going to sound weird, but you can't outgive God. Now, those of you who actually know and you have operated in true generosity with a pure heart, you know that's true. You can't outgive God. But others of you, you've, you've, you've done it like a test with like your eyebrows kind of like, hmm, we'll see. And like, you, you, don't, you don't live, the, it, it, this generous cycle doesn't start. And like, what's the problem? You're, you're giving to get. And God doesn't bless that. He doesn't, his face, his favor is not upon that. It's an ulterior motive. This is a challenging, you know, this is a challenging word. But the, the big idea is this, where your generosity stops is where God's blessing will too. Where you decide as a believer to stop 
sowing those seeds of, of you know, whatever, giving you know, to, to people and to, to whatever it is that God's placed in your heart, where you stop doing that is, is where that, that cycle ends. But you're not the benefactor of your own generosity. You're not the benefactor of it. Can you go ahead and put up that, that picture? This right here is a, a freezer that uh, we, we bought as a church and we also got together with a couple of other churches in the Long Beach area. And we purchased this freezer for the Long Beach Food Pantry. And it's an organization that we support every week. And um, I think we put four or $5,000 into it and then other people put, it's, it's, a very, it's a very nice freezer, a couple of freezers right there, right? Do you know how many families are gonna be fed more a month because of that right there? 40 every month, 40. They will now be able to serve over 400 families every month just in Long Beach, just in one food, food pantry. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Are you ever gonna eat a meal from that freezer? No. But don't you feel like the, yes! Like, like we help some people, like they can actually store produce now. I walk up to Walmart or wherever and we just buy it and like, whatever. We have produce that goes bad in our refrigerator, right? There's other people who are desperate for it. We're never gonna be the benefactor of that, but in some strange way, we are, right? Like, like there's some, let's learn about that. Let's learn about what that is. What's the result of generosity? Verse 11, the second part says this, and through us, now, what he said, when he said, he says, and through us, this is Paul, the pastor speaking. He says, hey, Corinth, as you give, and as we take up the collection, sounds like a church, right? Come on. This is what's happening every week here. Whenever you give and we take up the collection, through us, like the leaders of what we're doing here, through us, your generosity, whenever you give money to the church, okay? I'm being very specific right now. You're being generous, not under compulsion, not because somebody really like just put a hook inside of you and said, well, are you, you going to sow that seed, right? No, 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 no. He said, because of your generosity, it's going to result in thanksgiving to God. Isn't that awesome? See, what's happening right now is there's a freezer that some families are going to go get some food out of. And they're gonna, this, this organization is a faith-based organization. And, and guess what? They're going to say, man, some churches got together and they bought a new freezer and now we can provide you with produce. Isn't that awesome? And you know what some of those people are going to do? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for supplying. Man, I can actually, you know, we, I can actually have some produce for our family. We, had, we hadn't had vegetables in so long. And, and this is all. He's like, that's, that's the win. That's the win, man, that thanksgiving is given to God. And he goes on, he says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. He's like, you weren't just all talk. You did something. Come on, you were obedient to it. And now God's going to get the glory for it. Isn't that great? 
And for those of you who don't even smile whenever we talk about this, you need to read your Bible more, man. Come on, you need to pray a little bit and allow God to open up your heart to actually care when God gets glory. Because I think that's the problem. Most people don't care that God gets thanks or glory. Because why? They didn't get anything out of it. The point of our lives is to give credit and honor to God and us not get anything. There's a man in the, back in the day, a few hundred years ago, he said this, I want to preach the gospel, die and be forgotten as long as God gets the glory. Is that the cry of our hearts, y'all? That we would, we would preach the gospel, we would share the good news, we would die and be forgotten. Like in you know, a few years, it's like, who was that person? I, they, I don't know. But that God would actually, his, his good news, his life would actually carry on past us because we were actually faithful in the time that we were alive. As believers, that like makes your heart beat a little bit faster, right? It actually gives purpose to your Mondays. You're not just looking forward to the weekend. All the weekends are fun because every day you live on mission. And so every day has purpose. Every day has value. He says, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. God gets the glory because he's the source in the first place. Hey guys, listen, this is what we believe, that God's the source of everything. The very fact that the atoms in this pulpit are being held together is because the word of God was spoken and he breathed his breath, his pneuma, into all creation and it's holding everything together. All right, that's what we believe, right? What happens if all the atoms and everything just split apart, everything would burn up? And that's in the Bible, did you know that? God is the source of life. He's also the source of everything that we have. The five bucks that you got in your pocket right now, he's the source of it. The couch that you, you watch your, your giant TV on, he's the source of that, right? right? He's the source, that's what we believe. And so therefore, it's very easy whenever you think and live and believe like that, to live your life like this, open wide your, your hand. God, freely I've been given, freely I will give. It's easy because you, like it's, it's in you. It's not some, here's the deal, check this out. God's the source. In this scenario, he puts it on the hearts of the Corinthians to, to take up a collection in order to give to the church in Jerusalem, right? Which is great. And then you got this other piece of the puzzle, which is Macedonia, getting all excited about it as well. And then whenever they do that, the church in Jerusalem gives glory to God, right? And then also prays for the church in Corinth. Their hearts goes out to them and they pray for them. And so Corinth gets a kickback of... of prayer and, and, and the favor of God upon them, right? God gets the glory and the church in Jerusalem actually has money to, to, to supply their need. But guess what? What if in six months, Corinth is the one that's in need? Guess what happens? Jerusalem gets to step up. How many of you in this place are in the place of Corinth? God has been, he's richly blessed you. You're in a place right now where you're not afraid about making, the, making rent. You're not in that place. But guess what? There's some Jerusalem sitting around you probably right now, actually. And maybe they're in the place where their marriages fell apart. Maybe, maybe somebody lost a job, all right? Like whatever the case is. And you know what? It doesn't matter if it's, a, it's, it's because of really bad decisions they've made or not. That's where we as Americans get really stingy. Well, they made bad choices. Who cares? The church at Corinth didn't know what Jerusalem was going. They didn't know if somebody had, had not budgeted their money right. 
God was like, I want you to give freely. Don't ask any questions. Some of you, you've been asking too many questions. But you're a Corinth. And there's a Jerusalem. Some of you are in Jerusalem right now. You're sitting here, right? Maybe you know somebody. And they need a Corinth, man. They need somebody to step up and to give and be generous to the point of sacrifice, y'all. I'm not talking about 20 bucks. We were able to, we were able to bless from, in the last quarter of this year, we were giving away almost $150,000 cash between planting churches and yeah, come on. between planting churches and, and you saw that, the server city groups, all of these things. And one of the amazing things we were able to do, you were able to do, guys, is that we were able to help 17 families who were three days out for being evicted from their place. We were able to pay their month in order to keep them in another month. Three days. Heard a story, one of those people just found out they had stomach cancer. Y'all, look, we don't know the pain that's around us until we actually allow God and say, Lord, open up our heart and give us opportunities in order to help people out. Show us the need. Y'all remember we talked about eyes to see? You remember having eyes to see? Have eyes to see and then say, how can I meet that need? And then formulate a plan and actually put some feet to it and meet a need. And guess what's gonna happen at the other end? Somebody, some Jerusalem somewhere is gonna give thanks to God. And you might never hear it. You might never see it. It doesn't matter. You were a part of it. We want to be generous, and this isn't just a, a flippant little, hey guys, we should, be, we should be generous. It would be good. This is it's not an option for believers. This is a characteristic of who God is, and if God is inside of us, it's something that we can't do without. It's a challenging message, but come on, can you feel the, the, the weight of it with what Paul's saying? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. Today wasn't a message about giving and you'll get a lot of stuff in return. This was a message about giving of your life, giving of everything that you got so that God gets the glory. The thing about this whole entire concept is that the first thing that you must give is your heart. Jesus died on a cross. He lived a perfect life to pay a big debt for you to set you free and today, you have an opportunity to say yes to follow Jesus, to tap into this generous lifestyle. The first key is surrender to Jesus Christ. And in this moment, I wanna give every person an opportunity to say yes. If you're here and you just feel a tug in your heart, you say, you know, I've been living out the wrong lane. I've been, I've been in a very selfish place and I wanna turn from that today. I'm gonna give my life to God. I'm gonna pray. And I want you just to surrender your heart to God right now. You can pray a prayer like this. Say, Jesus, I'm yours. God, would you forgive me? God, of living my life for myself. I realize today that you are good and you are love and you, you make me righteous, God. And then today I wanna, I wanna stand clothed in righteousness. I give you my life. I repent of the sin in my heart. I thank you for making a way through Jesus. I wanna pray for all of us right now because I believe that some of us were pricked in many different ways to, to be generous. God, we open up our hearts to you right now. 
Lord, there are definite opportunities that you've given us where we have said no, or we've pushed it off on somebody else. And today, God, we want to repent of that. And God, we wanna say that we are yours. You've freely supplied all that we need. And so God, help us to freely give, generously so into other people's lives. Would you bless the money that is given? God, let it produce fruit far beyond our ability because God, it's, it's about you and your kingdom. And God, we truly are completely fine with not getting anything back in return other than you receiving the glory for it. Because God, we know that you're gonna take care of us. We have no fear. Fill us with your presence, fill us with your spirit and your power. God, as we go out into our communities, help us to make a difference this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.